0: So we're going to pick up that chapter John 18 pick up that part of the story at verse 28. This is what we read. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Now, by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, "What charges are you bringing against this man?" If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But, my, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at this time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. To God. Let us pray. Lord, your word as is read to us, as it speaks of your truth, these words that I pray will also speak of your truth. Inspire them by your Holy Spirit and inspire us that we would hear, receive, and respond to your call upon our lives. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, let me welcome you, actually, I know it's kind of odd to say welcome at this stage of the service, but let me welcome you to the last Sunday service of the calendar year. How many of you knew today was the last Sunday of the calendar year? Okay, two of you, three of you, the rest of you are looking at me like I'm out of my mind. And you're you're right in the way you're thinking, it's not the last Sunday of the normal calendar year, we know that will be... December 27th, I think. Um, But it is the last Sunday in the church calendar. Next week, with the beginning of Advent, begins the first Sunday of the church calendar. The church calendar that follows a cycle built on the life of Jesus. So what, what I mean by that is next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, we begin with the season in which we anticipate the coming of Christ, and at Christmas, what we do is we celebrate the birth of Christ. Obviously, you know that, but we also anticipate the return of Christ. That begins the season, the church calendar. So Advent is our first season. After Advent and Christmas, we move into Epiphany, early January Epiphany, as the baptism of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. And then after Epiphany, we prepare to move into the next high and holy season, which is Lent which focuses on the suffering of Jesus as we build toward Easter, our highest and holiest day, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we move into that following Easter. We have the celebration of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and then we move into what's known on the church calendar as ordinary time, marked by the uh, by the green colors. And ordinary time is when the church focuses on the season of hearing the teaching of Jesus and living into that. How do we embody and live up to the things that Jesus has taught us to do? That's called ordinary time. And the calendar concludes today with what is called Christ the King Sunday. This is Christ the King Sunday. It was started years ago by, by, it was instituted in this time of year as a church calendar by a pope who wanted to remind the nations and the monarchs and the authorities of this world that their reign was somewhat limited, that there was a greater power and a greater authority above theirs. And so Christ the King Sunday celebrates Christ's rule for now and forever over, over all of humanity. And so that's what today is. And that is language that is, if you've been in church for any number of, for any length of time, it's not unfamiliar language to you. We celebrate often, we sing often of Christ the King. But how often do we think, intentionally reflect on what that means? What does it mean to say Christ is King? And more importantly, what does it mean Impact or change or effect about who we are and how we live to not only profess Christ the King, but to live a life that reflects that truth. What does it mean when we say Christ is King? Because our notions, our mindset, our, our expectations of what a king is or a queen is very, very, very different than who Christ is is. Christ's kingship challenges our expectations, challenges our notions of, of what a king looks like or what a queen looks like. There's a, a story that goes back a, a few years that happened when uh, King Edward V was uh, the, the, um, kind of the ruling monarch, monarch of England. He, um, I mean, let me back that up. King George V. King George V, who, who reigned in, in Britain between 1910 and 1936. Uh, King George r- lived at a time when there were still, there were still remaining those, those traditions of arranged marriages in the, in the royal households for political purposes. So King George V was the grandson of um, uh, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, was the first cousin of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia, and Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, if you remember some of that history. So the the monarchs and the ruling houses had kind of um, family connections. And the reason I share that is because King George's reputation is that he was far less pretentious than some of the other monarchs and kind of ruling powers of his day. And so one afternoon, one day had been set aside, as often is the case with um, authority figures, that King George was going to visit a hospital and was going to visit with a lot of the patients there. So all the patients were told that on this day, King George was coming. And so all the patients, even though they were in a hospital, they dressed up in whatever their best clothes were. And among the patients at the hospital was a little boy who got really excited about meeting the king. And so on that day, everybody dressed up, everybody waited, and it was a visiting day, so visitors were coming in and out all day long. And that afternoon, an elderly gentleman, as others had come in, an elderly gentleman comes in, he's got a few friends with him, and he visits with patients, and he visited with this little boy, and he spoke with him, and he patted him on the head, and then he left, and and everybody else left. And that night, a nurse is helping get the little boy ready to go to sleep. And he looks dejected. And the nurse looks at him and says, what's wrong? And he's like, the king didn't come. He's like, of course the king came. Don't you remember that very nice elderly gentleman that came and spoke to you and patted you on the head? That was the king. The boy looked at her and said, but, but he didn't wear a crown. He didn't wear a crown. He didn't meet this little boy's expectations for what a king would look like, so he missed him. He didn't even realize who had visited him. When we celebrate Christ the King, we need to recognize that so many, most people that lived in the day of Jesus missed him because he didn't wear a crown. At least not the kind of crown, both figurative and literally, that they expected. He wasn't what they were looking for. And we have to be careful of being aware that very often Jesus is still not what we're looking for. Not not if we're really honest. Because he doesn't meet the expectation. Jesus was in so many ways ordinary. Yes, there was extraordinary things that he could do. There was extraordinary things that he did do. But in appearance, in presence, he was ordinary. Ordinary parents. Ordinary little no-count village in Nazareth where he was born or where he was raised. Ordinary prophet. They came a dime a dozen. He looked so ordinary. Pilate was in his presence and just didn't see it. And that's the the heart of this text is that the Roman, I mean, I'm sorry, the Jewish leaders have brought Jesus to Pilate because they want him executed. And the Jewish authority, they didn't have the power to do that. So they brought Jesus to Pilate and they accused him, Luke says, of three um, crimes. One that he was subversive to the government, that he was telling his followers not to pay their taxes, and that he was claiming to be a king. Now these were charges that Rome would have taken very seriously. Jerusalem and Israel in that region of Judea was, was, was um, incredibly volatile. And the Romans, the Romans were constantly dealing with uprising and, and revolts and leaders that were trying to subvert Rome and, and undermine Rome. And They dealt with it ruthlessly, ruthlessly. Prior to Jesus, there's one account, I think Josephus tells, of a revolt that happened in Jerusalem. And on one day, the Romans crucified 600 people, lining them up on the roads to the city. When you would enter into the city of Jerusalem, you would pass on the road those who were being crucified outside the city gates. And that was Rome's way of saying, don't mess around. We take this really seriously. So the Jewish authorities bring Jesus to Rome under these charges of being subversive and being counter, um, counter to the emperor and counter to the ways of Rome because they want to have him executed. Now, Pilate doesn't trust the Jewish leaders because he knows they hate him. And there's no love loss. I mean, they could not stand Roman authorities. They could not stand Rome's presence in Jerusalem. But yet, in this moment, they're bringing Jesus to him and he doesn't understand what it's all about. And so he interrogates Jesus, and he sees nothing about him that is extraordinary. He can't understand the charges, because this man is ordinary. But he was extraordinary in so many ways. It was beyond Pilate's ability to see. And so Pilate says to him, you know, are you a king? And in some, some of the translations, Jesus affirms it. In some of the translations, it, he, he kind of um, gives credence to it, as we read this morning. But, but basically, he says, yes, I'm a king, but not the kind of king you expect. In fact, I'm not the kind of king that's bringing a, a rebellion against the Roman government. My kingdom's not of this world. And what he's saying is, my kingdom is different. It looks different. It behaves differently. It reacts and responds differently. It's not what you think, and it doesn't wear the kind of crown that you expect. But Jesus, nonetheless, was a king who we affirm on Christ the King Sunday. So the question is, what do we adore about Jesus? What is it about Jesus that we affirm? What does his kingdom look like, and what does that mean for us? Well, let's let's unpack just a few of the truths about the kind of king that Jesus is. Why do we celebrate Jesus and worship Jesus and recognize the power of what Jesus has done? The first truth is this is that Jesus is the embodiment of God, of the King, if you will, who comes to us. The King who comes to us. It's the heart of Advent. God who comes near. And that in and of itself, flies in the face of, of what we expect. It flies in the face of our, our expectation and our image. How many movies have we watched over the years? How many scenes have you seen depicted of the king and the queen sitting on their royal thrones in the great hall, and it's a huge hall, and the, the pillars, and it's ornate, and it's decorated, and the, the, the people uh, the, who are ruled over who desire an audience with the king, they have to come into the presence of the king. They have to get an audience. They have to be invited into the throne room. They have to approach with humility the king, and they, they come to the king. But we worship a king who came to us. Quite the opposite. In fact, we were unable to come to him, so he stepped into our story. God came near. Jesus is the presence of God that reaches to us because we're incapable of reaching to him. And it's in the everyday of life. It's in the messiness of life. It's in the the grit and grime of life. Jesus stepped into our story and experiences life just like we do. And sometimes we forget that because we focus on the divinity of Jesus and we forget that humanity, that, that messiness that he experiences like we do. 1957. Benjamin Mitchum was the president of the Ideal Toy Company. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Ideal Toy Company, but he came up with an idea to make a Jesus doll. He felt that since so many kids, especially at that time, uh, grew up in church and there were so many Christian families, he was going to make a Jesus doll. And um, so some of the employees at the Ideal Company thought this was a bad idea. But some of the religious leaders that he talked to affirmed it. And he even somehow had some correspondence with the Pope and got a blessing or at least an okay to do it. So they made a Jesus doll. And if you bought it at the store, it came in a package. It was 12 by 16. It looked like a Bible. It was a box that looked like a Bible. And you opened it up and it was like the pages of the Bible had the Jesus, the birth story on it. And there in the middle of the book, you know, it would be bigger than this, but it would kind of like be here in the middle was the Jesus doll, a little kind of, um, little kind of baby Jesus and in, the, in the kind of the diaper. And, and so you could buy that, and that was, that was a, a, a gift that you could give or a toy that a child could have. Now, if you lived in 1957, how many of you had a Jesus doll? Yeah, you know how many people in church today have had a Jesus doll? Zero. You know why? because it was a flop. It was a disaster. Nobody would buy, and many people were offended by the Jesus doll. At that day and age, you didn't have return policies and money-back guarantees, but it, it flopped so badly um, that they, they refunded people's money. And they took the dolls, and they gave a few to some employees, and they destroyed the rest. They incinerated them, and they dumped them in, in landfills somewhere. In fact, you can actually find one on eBay for $40 if you want to. There's still a few still around, but, but not many. But nobody bought them. Because parents couldn't wrap their mind around having a little toy, that, a Jesus toy that their kids could take to the bath or could carry around in the mud or could dress up and play with. They couldn't, they couldn't conceive of, of a toy that was so ordinary and everyday like all the other action figures that children of all ages and all times have collected. And I I get that to a point. I understand the reverence there, and I'm not necessarily advocating for a Jesus toy that is really just a marketing ploy meant to to profit somebody. But I wonder if at the heart of that is because we have a hard time conceiving of the everyday Jesus. I mean, Jesus was exactly that. He was God's presence in the everyday realities of life and the muddiness and the dirtiness and, and just the ordinary things because God stepped into it all. We celebrate the God who came to us. I, I walked down the hall years ago. I think it was my first year here as the pastor. I never forget this image. I came down I came by the nursery and I looked in and at that time, um, Al and Nancy Young were in the nursery with the kids and there was a couple little t- infant toddlers that were in the nursery and i 'll never forget looking in because it 's seared in my memory. Al Young there, if you know Al, he, he's part of the choir at 815, a uh, wonderful, faithful servant of the church, his Stephen minister, done so many things, and he's dressed in his tie and his Sunday best, and he's on the ground. I mean, he's on the floor with a couple toddlers, and they're playing with cars, and he's eye to eye, but he's on their level, because it would be ridiculous to think that a toddler could come up to his So he got down to where they were. And I just remember this beautiful image of Al just on the floor playing with the kids. And I share that with you because that's just not nearly deep enough, but that's what I see as God's done for us. He's kind of come down so he could see us eye to eye because we can't get to where he is. So we celebrate and we worship the God who came to us. We also worship the God who identifies with us. The God who not, came, not just came to us, but who identifies with us. And he identifies with us because of his compassion. Jesus never locked eyes with a person he didn't love. You've heard me say this before. He never looked upon anybody that he did not love. No matter where they were in the spectrum of, of society whether it was the outcast, and Jesus sought them out. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that he sought them out. When Jesus, in John chapter 4, is at the well at midday so that he can have a conversation with a woman who was an an outcast in her society because she'd been married repeatedly. There was no accident he was there. He knew she was coming. But Jesus loved her. When Jesus would come into Jerusalem and go to the pool of Bethesda where where the, the infirmed and the crippled were, he went there because he had the power to heal. Because he loved them. And when a rich young ruler came to him who was on the opposite end of the spectrum, who was on the opposite end of of society, if you will, the Bible says that when he looked upon the young man, he loved him. And everybody in between. Jesus identifies with us. He loved the outcast and the broken. And that's good news because we are the outcast and the broken. Every one of us fit that in some way. Just some are better at hiding it. He identifies with us. There's another story told of, of Prince, the Prince of Wales, I believe it was Prince Edward V, who uh, was visiting India. This was years ago when India was still, a, I guess, a colony of Britain. And he'd come in, and it was a royal visit. So they set the barricades up so the masses of people would be kept back, and he could shake hands with the dignitaries. It says that when Prince Edward came and he shook hands with, with the, the dignitaries and he saw the barricades When he was done with the official business, he said, take the barricades down. Take the barricades down so that everybody can come, so that I can have an encounter with anybody who comes. Shake hands. Inter- uh, intermingle with everybody. And because of that, and remember in India, they have very clear and well-defined Um, caste system. Uh, Prince Edward became known as the prince to the outcasts. The prince to the outcasts. Brothers and sisters, we worship the one who is the king to the outcasts. And that's good news because that's us. So it's the God who came to us, the God who identifies with us, and here's what you know, the God who died for us. I mean, that's the heart of the Jesus story is his death on the cross, the gift that he gives. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he or she lay down a life for a friend. And Jesus defines friends differently than we do. It's not an inner, a, a select circle. It's everybody. Same way he defines neighbors. Read the parable of the Good Samaritan. The point is, everybody's your neighbor. Jesus, and the scriptures say, Jesus died for everybody. Everybody's invited to receive the gift. It's his Great sacrifice, his gift. The God who came to us, the God who identifies with us, and the God who died for us. That's what it means to celebrate Christ the King. But if we're going to live into that, it requires something of us. And that's why in the sermon title there's a question mark. Christ the King. Because if we're going to profess it with our lips, we need to give evidence to it with our lifestyle. If we are going to follow this king, it is not just to recognize his lordship, but to be shaped by it. Because there is an expectation on those who choose to receive the call of Christ in their lives. And that is that which we have received, we will share. That which we have been given, we will reflect. And so the people of God's kingdom, the people under the lordship of Christ the king, are not only to recognize the God who came to us, but we're called to go to others. We're called to be incarnational. We're called to reflect Jesus. And what does that mean? That we look upon others with compassion. That we identify with others. And hear me say this. And we sacrifice for others. And that's hard. I mean, I'm not sharing with you words that I'm very good at. But if we're going to truly profess Christ the King, then we need to recognize our allegiance is to our King first and foremost. And our lives should be marked a reflection of Jesus. Our lives should be marked by compassion and sacrifice. And that should drive us. This week, we've heard the news day in and day out of the Syrian refugees. What are we going to do about the Syrian refugees? And that is a tough issue. And I don't have all the answers and I'm not going to stand up and profess I've got that figured out. But I'm going to tell you this unequivocally if we are called by the way of Christ, we had better be driven by compassion. Whatever your belief is and how we should respond to that, it should be driven by compassion. And if you are not haunted by the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. Because when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. If that doesn't make you uncomfortable, then you're not paying attention because it makes me uncomfortable. Again, I'm not telling you how you should feel about that or what your thought should be on how we handle that, but I am telling you we better be driven by compassion in it. That should be the number because that's the way of Jesus. That's who He is. That's who we are called to be. And right now we're dealing with that, and we deal with it in a lot of other issues too. It's not just that. That's just the one that's getting the most attention whether it's the care of the neighbor that lives next to us or the care of the neighbor that lives across the world, we are to be driven by compassion because we profess a king who came to us, identifies with us, and died for us. How can we not be driven by that same motivation? I don't understand. You know, Christianity is not safe. Hear me say, it's not safe. I don't think that any of us can one day stand in the presence of Jesus, whose hands were pierced by the nails, and whose feet were pierced by the nails, and say, Lord, I thought you called me to play it safe. It's just not the way of Jesus. In fact, he didn't play it safe. I led him to the cross. I know it's tough. I know there's not easy answers. I know in this room right now we have people on all ends of the spectrum. But let's be driven by the desire to be obedient. We won't always be perfect. That's why we need grace. But let it be our heart's desire because to profess Christ as king, that's a good first step. But we need to model it. Years ago, a man who was very wise, had a lot of degrees, had a lot of knowledge, was asked what's the most important thing he'd ever learned in life. And he said, it's this. Two things. One, I am a great sinner. And two, I serve a great savior. We are great sinners, but we serve a great Savior. Let us reflect that service. He is Christ the King. Let's profess it with our words. But more importantly, friends, when we leave here, let's reflect it with our lives. Let's pray. Lord, your words are tough, and they challenge us, and they make us squirm. If we're honest, they they make me squirm. Answers are not easy. But we're called to the one who is the answer, answer. To follow according to Christ. To live according to the way of Christ. And help us to seek to do that faithfully. We celebrate. We worship you because you came to us. You identify with us and you died for us. Help us to reflect that same incarnational love. To identify and to love others. And to be willing to sacrifice. Because that's the way of Christ. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. And our prayer always is a call to greater obedience. In Christ's holy name, amen.